Good evening, everyone. It is wonderful to see all of you. This uh, tonight brings back a lot of memories. I think the last time that uh, I spoke when Steve Gowing led worship was probably 20 years ago-ish, almost 20 years ago, when I was the youth pastor at this church, only over on the May, where we used to set up and tear down every week in a gymnasium to have a youth service. And, and Steve led worship and played guitar. And, and so this, is, this has been really fun. I appreciate this whole team. Would you say thank you to this team for just leading us in such a wonderful way? Re really, really great. Well, we're going to receive our offering. If our ushers would prepare to do that, you can do that now. We've prayed, so once you're ready to go, thank you for your faithfulness in giving um, to the work of the kingdom and for, for considering our stewardship as an act of worship. It's part of our worship to God. So thank you for, for that. Um, we are, have been in a great series that I have, I've really enjoyed. I haven't been uh, in here much because of other commitments, but I've been able to watch online and got to participate uh, in, in one of them with, with Dick and Brent, and I've just thoroughly enjoyed this journey through the Christ story uh, as reflected by Paul in his letter to the Church of Philippi. Before we dive in, though, tonight to what we're going to be talking about, let me just make you aware, starting next week, next Wednesday, we begin a new series uh, you should have a flyer that was given to you about the series when you came in called What is God Like? Christianity and Other Religions. We're going to look at the nature and the character of God. What is this God that we serve, that we worship, really like? Okay, and so I hope you'll come. Invite friends to come with you. I think it's going to be uh, a great study for us. All right, well, tonight we are wrapping up our series that we've called Easter what is it really about? I know some of you are thinking you're, you missed the timing by a week because um, we celebrated Easter just a few days ago. I hope you had uh, a wonderful Easter weekend. I was just uh, thoroughly blessed. The weekend that I had started on Friday night when I went with my son to a church over in Greeley and we worshiped Jesus around the, the bread and the cup at a Good Friday service, just a, a phenomenal experience of worship in a very different style. And then uh, Saturday night, I got to celebrate with, with my Timberline family here, the resurrection of Jesus. And then I had the privilege Sunday morning of, of gathering at about 6.15 before the sun came up at a lake in Windsor with the Ministerial Alliance of, of Windsor to speak at a sunrise service. I, I, it took me about 30 minutes to feel my toes again, but it was a, just a spectacular uh, event with about 100 folks. And, and whenever, when it was over, we turned, and the, and the guy leading the service said, let's contemplate what Jesus has done. And we looked across the lake, and about 30 seconds later, the sun just popped up over the horizon, and it was awesome. And then I got to come here and celebrate with, with a, few, a few folks who came to Timberline on Sunday morning. A whole bunch of folks who came. And uh, what a great experience. 
so, but tonight, we're going to continue, we're going to wrap up the series, but we all know as followers of Jesus, Easter's never over. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus every single day of every single year, because as Pastor Brent talked to us last week, it is what this is all about. It is, it's the key, it's the linchpin of our faith in, in Jesus. Everything is built, built around the reality that Jesus came back from the dead. Paul said... Uh, that without it, our faith is useless. It's futile. Everything hinges upon the fact that Jesus died but rose again and is alive today. Resurrection is the most important thing we celebrate. As much as I love Christmas, and I love Christmas, and, and certainly without Christmas, without incarnation, we don't have Easter, but Easter is the key thing in the life of a follower of Jesus that we celebrate, the fact that he is alive. Um, the resurrection of Jesus launched God's new creation, which is, which is here and now, and it is also yet to come. It's this interesting place that we live, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that tonight. Theologian Gordon Fee says that believers in Jesus are both already and not yet. They already know and embrace him as Lord of all. Not yet have they seen all things made subject to him. And so we live in between these two points that we're going to talk a little bit about tonight. So let's turn in the text to Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read tonight from uh, the New Living Translation. And I'm going to actually start in verse 1. If you want to follow along on the screen... And uh, I haven't used this Bible in a while. I normally use the NIV and decided to use the NLT tonight. And, and somehow, since the last time I used this Bible, the font has shrunk. And I, think I, I think I washed it and it shrunk. So uh, this is what it says, Philippians chapter 2. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and sympathetic? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one heart and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't live to make good impression on others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. Don't think only about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and what they are doing. And then verse 5, your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. And in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death on a cross. Because of this, God raised him up to the heights of heaven and gave him a name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What an incredibly beautiful picture that Paul gives us of the Christ story. We're going to focus our attention tonight and the minutes we have remaining on, on the last three verses of, of what really is kind of a poem, this Christ story, the form that, that Paul wrote it in. I'm going to read just those last three verses again. This is from the NIV. It says, therefore, that's an important word. I used to have a teacher who would say, when you see the word therefore, see what it's there for. Anybody else hear that? 
All right, you learned something today. Write that in your notes. When you see the word therefore, see what it's there for. Therefore, because, in other words, because of what he just said, of, of Jesus' humble obedience to death, even death on a cross, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Think about the contrast that we read in that Christ story according to Paul. Jesus humbled himself. God exalted him. We learn that's true of us too. James tells us, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Jesus didn't seek a name for himself. God gave him a name that is above every name. Jesus bent his knee to serve others. God decrees that every knee will bow to him. It is an upside-down kingdom, isn't it? Or maybe we might say it's a right-side-up kingdom and everything else is upside-down. It works differently than the world that we know as human beings. In this kingdom, the way to greatness is through becoming the servant of all. The way to find yourself is to lose yourself, Jesus said. The way to a crown is through the cross. It's a different kind of kingdom. Now remember, this letter was written by Paul from prison to a church that is suffering. And they're suffering because of their devotion to Jesus. Because of their devotion to his name. To live in the way of Jesus. To declare the message that he is the true king and the true Lord. And as a result of that, they're suffering. And so Paul writes a letter from prison to a church that is suffering. And of all things, the theme of this letter is joy. What an incredible picture that paints for us anyway. And then Paul recounts in, in some of the most succinct and yet beautiful expression in all of scripture the christ story the incarnation which we began this series talking about that god becomes one of us in human flesh and part of that incarnation we might say is humiliation that he emptied himself he took the nature of a servant he didn't come as a human being with with fame and fortune and position, he came as a baby, a child dependent upon a teenage mom. We talked about crucifixion. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross, a death reserved for slaves and insurrectionists. And then last week we talked about resurrection. He defeats death and the grave when God raises him from the dead. And now Paul tells this suffering church that this Jesus because of his humility and obedience, has been exalted Lord over the entire universe, including the Lord, little l, of the empire that was persecuting and oppressing them, Rome. Jesus is Lord over all. The highest place, it says, that doesn't mean that Jesus was somehow in a lower place place. The, the, the Greek word that's used there really suggests that God was exalting him in the highest degree, that he has vindicated him through the resurrection and the, and the ascension to heaven, to the realm where God dwells, dwells. And he's given him a name that is above every name. There are a couple things to note there in thinking about this name. It's, he obviously doesn't mean that 
after his resurrection, that's when he got the name Jesus. Jesus was the name that the angel declared to Joseph to give to him before he was even born. That's the name that he was given Jesus. But, but really, in a sense, it's the idea that, that God has given him, has made the name of Jesus significant that exceeds all other names. That this name now exceeds all other names. But there's something else at work here. There's something else happening. See, that statement that, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess, Paul is quoting from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 23, this is what it says. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. And here's the word. Before me every knee will bow, by me every tongue will swear. This is a passage that clearly refers to Yahweh, to the one true God. And what Paul does here is, in effect, he substitutes the name of Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue will confess. In other words, the one true God who will not share his glory shares it with Jesus. It's a powerful picture of Jesus who was equal with God but didn't grasp or exploit that equality, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And now God has, has brought him to that place where every knee, again, that equality, where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he truly is not just a king, but the king, king of kings and the Lord of lords, Lord over all. The one who was preexistent with God is now once again equal in, in, in this, it, for the whole world, the whole universe to see and to declare that he indeed is. Jesus said, all authority, before he ascended to heaven, after he was raised from the dead and appeared to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15, it's not on the screen, but just listen to this about Jesus. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. He is Lord, the Lord, to whom every knee shall eventually bow, and it will all be to the glory of of God. These are important words to a church that is suffering because of the name of Jesus. Imagine how reassuring it is to hear these words, to read these words from this letter that Paul tells them that one day their persecutors who declare that Caesar is Lord, even their persecutors will confess that Jesus Christ is truly Lord of all. These are important words for us. Today, just as they were for the church 
in Philippi at that time. For, for a, uh, this church in a world that seems to be spinning out of control, doesn't it? I mean, when you watch the news, when you read the paper, it just feels like the world is in this turmoil and this chaos. And in the midst of this chaos, we have these words that still ring true. That the truth is there is a redemptive plan at work that is authored by God. It is not derailed and we are headed somewhere. And that somewhere is that Jesus Christ is already and will be declared King of Kings, Lord of Lords by all of his creation. So we take heart in the midst of the chaos in the midst of the turmoil that is our world, that is our culture, we take heart at these same words, that Jesus Christ died and rose again, and he is indeed king. That's good news, isn't it? Yeah, three of you agree with that. Well, maybe I need to spit a little more. I used to spit in those days, Steve. Remember those days when we were youth, youth pastors? All right, a couple, Wednesdays, Wednesday, or a couple years ago, uh, on Wednesday nights, and I need to hurry here. I just looked at the clock. Uh, a couple years ago, we painted a picture, and I want to come back to the picture that that um, that we are talking about. And I'm just so excited to use this new cool little this cool little thing. So hopefully, I do it right. Okay. So here's here's the picture that we painted a couple of years ago. We talked about the fact that heaven heaven is not some distant place in the cosmos on a cloud somewhere. All right, when the Bible talks about heaven, the Bible is talking about the dwelling place of God. It's God's realm, if you will. And the picture, the picture we created was the picture of a sphere. It is God's sphere. If we go all the way back to creation, if we read the story in the book of Genesis, what we discover is that God's sphere, if you will, and man's or humanity's sphere, this world, they were united, they were one. We go back to the garden, and what we see is creation as God intended for it to be. And there was sweet fellowship, unbroken communion with God. Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. It was as God intended for it to be. But we all know the story. Humanity believes the lie that God is not for them, really, that he's holding out on them that they can't trust him, that's the lie that the enemy brought, that he really doesn't have their best interest at heart, and so humanity chose to rebel against the loving, caring rule of God, and sin became a part of the human experience, along with shame and insecurity and fear and hatred and violence and murder and a whole host of other horrible things that still plague our broken world today. In other words, what happened because of man's rebellion is we experienced brokenness. And so these spheres, th there was a separation. There was a brokenness as a result of man's sin. Now here's the great news. Rather than leave us hopeless and helpless in the mess that we created for ourselves because of our own rebellion, God pursues us. He becomes one of us in the person of Jesus. And in the person of Jesus, you remember the message Jesus declared was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In the person of Jesus, effectively what takes place is that the realm of God, the sphere of God, 
I'm going to get paint all over me. The sphere of God touches with the sphere of man. And Jesus taught about the kingdom. He demonstrated the kingdom. Jesus performed miracles, which were evidence of what it's like. What Jesus demonstrated for us was what it's like when God is in charge. Heaven and earth came together in the person of Jesus. He died and he rose again. He ascended to the Father, which means he, he went to the realm of God, God's dwelling. And then we read the rest of the story and we know where we're headed. And where we're headed is back, really in effect, to where we started. Where once again, the dwelling of God and the dwelling of man are one. Now let me just read to you a picture of that Revelations chapter 21 and verse 1. Listen to this. You can follow along on the screen. This is, this is the revelation that John received. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men. And he will live with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. Now notice the picture that is created in this revelation. It's the picture of a bride and her husband. We understand marriage and the picture of marriage. For, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. That's the picture that God gives us of the dwelling of God and the dwelling of man. They once again will be one. That's the picture. In, in other words, that thin veil that separates the dwelling of God and the dwelling of man will disappear and Jesus will be the central figure. The New Testament writers spoke of Jesus as appearing. They, they spoke of him as appearing more than the idea of coming, of his appearing. He will be the central figure in this new heaven and this new earth and that is all because of resurrection. He was the first fruits of what was to come. Many Jews in Jesus' day believed in resurrection, in ultimately an ultimate resurrection at the end, on the last day. You remember when Jesus went to, to his friend Lazarus and, and Mary and Martha, and Lazarus had died. And, and Jesus was late in getting there in their minds. And when he arrived, she, Martha says, if you had been here, my brother would still be alive. You could have done something. And Jesus says, your brother will rise. And what does she say? She says, I know, I know he'll rise again on the last day, in the resurrection on the last day. So they believe, not all Jews, but many Jews believed in a resurrection on the last day, in the last day when that day comes. But none of them anticipated right in the middle of history that one would die and rise from the dead, much less that that would be the Messiah who would die and come back from the grave and live. 
None of them anticipated that. But that's what Jesus did. He rose from the dead, defeating death, the ultimate enemy, um, as the first fruits of what was to come. So our destiny, too, then, is resurrection. Now, I know in church culture, we often talk about heaven being our home, right? And, and, and I understand that, and I'm not saying we should, you know, scrap all the songs that say that, and we, I, I, but, but we need to understand, and, and Brent alluded to it last week, that the reality is the place where we go when we die is not our ultimate destination. The Bible really describes a place of rest and peace with Jesus, but ultimately we will be bodily resurrected. And we will live. Now, it'll be a different body. It will be a body that is incorruptible. These bodies are corruptible. It will be incorruptible. But we will be bodily resurrected to live where Jesus is the central figure, the King of kings, Lord of lords, in new heaven and new earth. God's remade heaven and remade earth. It's like a two-phase thing. There's a New Testament theologian named N.T. Wright who says it's life after life after death, which every time he says it, I have to go, what is he talking about? But that's the idea. It's life after life after death. So yes, to be absent from the body is to be present with Jesus. Jesus said to the one dying next to him on, uh, uh, when he was crucified, this day you will be with me in paradise. And paradise is this picture that we get of, of restful peace with Jesus, but our ultimate destination is that we, is resurrection, that we will be raised to newness of life, a new body, to live in a new heaven and a new earth. And that's an important, it's an important piece for us to consider. Now, I need to really hurry up. And so let's, let's kind of move to a conclusion here. Here's the question, and this has been the question of this whole series, and, and it's part of what I've loved so much about it as I've listened to Brent talk is is that we've we've asked the question paul began this little this christ story by saying your attitude should be the same as his and so the question always becomes okay so what so we have the christ story we understand what he did but so what what does that mean to us how should that affect the way we live today and the reality of this journey has great implications what we believe about what will be has great implications on how we live today in the present um, the reality is that in our culture today, and I've said this before, we the church, the called out ones, which is what the word church, the Greek word ekklesia literally means, called out ones, we are that expression of the kingdom on earth. We are that expression of God's presence in the world in which we live. We are to live our lives today building for the kingdom. We're not building the kingdom in the sense that we can somehow accomplish that in our own strength and power, but we're building for the kingdom. God is the one who builds his church. We're building for the kingdom. We are to live and work now in anticipation of what will be. Again, N.T. Wright says that we are to live love in action. And he says love in action, I love this, this language, is beauty and justice. Listen, listen to this quote. He says, art is love creating new worlds. Justice is love rolling up its sleeves to heal the old one. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Art 
is, is creating new worlds. It's love creating new worlds. Justice is love rolling up its sleeves to heal the old one. Art points forward to beauty. Justice is about healing the broken world that is now. God is an artist. And Paul says in another letter that we are his artwork or his masterpiece. That's what we are. Our lives are to point forward to the beauty that will be when God, when the consummation of God's redemptive plan is a reality that we that is realized that we are living in. We are to point in that direction in beauty. And part of that is rolling up our sleeves to work to bring healing to this broken, this broken world. That's what Jesus did. He stepped right into the middle of our dirt and our filth. And he took all of our dirt and our filth upon himself. And he brought beauty out of it. He invited us to a meal. Which is about inviting us to community. He touched a leper so the leper could have community. He ate with tax collectors and sinners. And that really ticked off religious people. Because you don't eat with people like that. And that's what Jesus did. I have a friend. And this, I promise I'm closing, who is a, a young man, he's 20, and he and a couple of friends a couple of nights ago made some sandwiches and went to Old Town to try to meet new friends and to share a meal with them. That was the intent, nothing beyond that, to meet new friends and to share a meal. Now, they didn't know who these friends were going to be. But they were particularly looking for new friends who may not have the resources to make their own sandwiches. And they met some new friends, and they ate sandwiches together, and they talked for a couple of hours. And when it came time to leave, one of the new friends said, I think that's the longest that clean kids have ever hung out with dirty kids. And that's pretty cool. I think that's a picture of what it looks like to live between here and here. I would describe that as beautiful. And a picture of rolling up our sleeves and entering the dirt of broken people's lives and sharing a meal. I think that's what makes me so excited about what's happening with Serve 6.8 that we talk about here at Timberline, which is an, an, an incredible effort. The mission statement of Serve 6.8, which now has been organized under its own nonprofit, is to demonstrate God's love with no, in tangible ways with no strings attached. To live in the beauty that points to what will be and to roll up our sleeves and get into the mess of our broken world. That's what justice really is about. Let this attitude be in you. Incarnation. Stepping into the broken mess of our world. Humiliation. Laying aside our rights, our preferences, our self-centeredness. Crucifixion. Pouring ourselves out for the sake of others. And exaltation. New creation. Living in anticipation of what is to come.